Hey guys, are you one of the many fathers with sons who have lamented the fact that we've lost a sense of what it means to be a man in the church and in the world today? And also, we've lost rites of passage for sons to become men. I would love to be able to come out and talk to the men of your church on rites of passage, building sons into men. The Bible teaches that God has created men to worship, work, protect, provide, lead, and love. And what I've done is built these rites of passages in a malleable way so you can take these, adopt them, or change them to suit your church or your particular son so they can have a clear vision of what manhood is and how to get there. If you would like me to come for a seminar or conference, please reach out to me and we can work out the details. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This ministry exists to provide coaching, resources, and events for pastors and church members. My name is Jared Sparks. Join me as I talk pastoral ministry, applied theology like manhood and womanhood, political theology, and cultural analysis with a little bit of hunting and fishing thrown in. I'm a husband, a father, and a pastor, and I'm here to remind you of the chief pastor and our king, Jesus. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. Today, we are doing the long-awaited, if you've been listening to the podcast last week or so. We're going to be talking about Baptist Covenant theology, specifically how it relates to the the household, and we are building toward a Baptist Covenant theology of the home, so a Baptist Covenant family. What I want to do is think biblically and critically, use biblical words and just Bible verses here, and if you just look at the Baptist Covenant household or something like that on the internet, you're not going to find anything. It's just not out there. It's just a woefully un- underdeveloped uh, theology here. And my commitment here is not just to be committed to a Baptist theology. I want to be committed to the scriptural theology. And, you know, we want to be as biblical as possible, right? I think everybody should want that, at least. And so we want to be faithful to go where the Bible takes us. I know there's been a lot of people that have become Presbyterian lately uh, over the last several years. But uh, I want to uh, not just push back a little bit about that, but I, I really want to discover what's been tragically neglected is this idea of the covenant household. And as you read... You know, good works from faithful Presbyterians, and I, I love uh, Presbyterians, and you read the Covenant Household, and it's just so good. There's so much that's there. Bodie Bauckham has written some really good things as a Baptist about the household, but this has been, a, 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 like I said, a, an area of just woefully neglected area for Baptists in particular, as we have been doing outreach events and evangelism and one-on-one evangelism and just frantically out there trying to tell everybody about Jesus, all the while sending our kids to public school. And you look at the homes of so many Baptist pastors and they've learned or they've earned the reputation of a, a preacher's kid. You know, this is a, a preacher's household and it's a train wreck and it's, it's sad. And I've already used the word tragic. It's tragic. And when we have children and love them, we want to raise them in the way that God has you know, calls us to raise them. And as patriarchs, we want to be faithful to God's word about everything God calls us to do. And so we should know if there is such a thing as a covenant household, which we're going to explore here in a minute, then what are my co- my covenant obligations as a head? And what what are we supposed to do? What is there a one-to-one with the household of God and then the household of the Sparks family? If there isn't a one-to-one, then how do we understand the similarities and differences? Uh, uh, you know, that, That's just what we're wanting to explore. And so I'm starting a series about covenant theology and its implications in the home. And I hope you'll come along with me. I hope you'll share this with friends and consider it. And if uh, you're a Presbyterian brother out there, you know, consider what Baptists are, are thinking through and, and trying to take these scriptures and apply. And some of this we've learned from you, but, but really what we're just trying to do is be faithful to what God has called us to do as a covenant head of our home. 
I want to thank Joel Webin on Right Response Ministries. He said some really good things some people were telling me about, and I was able to listen to a few of them. Uh, but uh, we are going toward, I've told our Christian, I've told our uh, church family over and over again that we should expect our children to become Christians. They're not promised to us, and we're going to look at that here in a little bit. They're not promised, but we should expect it because we are raising them the way God would have them be raised. Therefore, our expectation is going to be that they are born again, that they meet the qualification of being in the household of God. And even that is loaded with meaning, what I just said. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's help, and then we're going to dive right in. And the first thing I want to do is just explore, is there really a covenant household? Is there a covenant family? And who are covenant children? If if there are covenant children, which household are they a part of? And are they part of both? And all of that, and how that works itself out. So let's uh, pray and dive in. Father, we just thank you for this time. I ask for cl- clarity as I work through this, and help me to be... Uh, precise and just just really clear. I want to be helpful to people. I want to make difficult com- concepts of covenant theology, and I want to bring it down to make it as simple as possible uh, and really in a way that we can apply this today as, a, as patriarchs, as, as the mothers are listening in. How can they apply these things? And so, Holy Spirit, take these things that I'm imperfectly talking about and perfectly apply them. I trust that you will. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. First, is there a covenant household? Presbyterians should not have the market on this language because we have the Bible. All Christians have the Bible. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see this in chapter 12, we see it in Ephesians chapter 5, we see this concept of headship. Let me just read it from chapter 11. Here's what it says. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. In 1 Corinthians 12, we find that Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, we see this in Ephesians chapter 2 as well, that Jesus is the head of his body, which is the church. The direct connection then from Jesus' headship is to the headship of the patriarch in the home. And we see in Ephesians chapter 5 that, uh, in the same way it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that the husband is the head of his wife, that he is the head, and underneath him is this covenant body called the household, called the family. There is a legitimate federalism, therefore, not just within the church, but also in the body of Christ, but also within households, within families, within the husband and wife relationship. When the uh, when the man leaves his father and mother and holds fast to his wife, and the wife leaves or uh, the wife uh, um, is given away to a husband, that is a new household, and in that household there is a federalism that the Bible tells us about. Now here's what I want to argue for: the headship of Christ in the covenant of grace guides and restrains those lesser or parallel covenant bodies, which would be the home and the state. We've, the last few years, been exploring Kuyperianism, sphere sovereignty, and within sphere sovereignty, we recognize that there are different covenant, covenant bodies and covenant obligations and restrictions, and there really is a representative leader of, of a people at the civic level, and then in the household, that is the patriarch, who is the head of that household, and then within the church, we have Jesus that is the head, and then we have uh, elders and deacons that have responsibilities, uh, covenantal responsibilities, and, and the Bible is just covenantal. That's just what the Bible is. And so we, we've got to see, I think, uh, that the headship of Christ in the covenant of grace guides and restrains those lesser or parallel bodies. So what we do as heads, in other words, what I do as a patriarchal head of the Sparks household is guided by and restrained by my covenant head because the head of every man is Christ. So he's my head, and everything I do with those that are under my rule 
is guided by and restrained by my covenant head. Now, I use the, the term covenant of grace, and this is where I'm going to have to show my cards. I believe in, in the, the covenant of grace is established. These are words that the New Testament uses. And you look at Hebrews chapter 8, 9, 10, referencing Jeremiah and Ezekiel. What we see is that the covenant of grace, this new covenant, is, is established in this new covenant, in Christ. And this is what London Baptist Confession Article 3 says, is that the covenant is revealed in the gospel, first to Adam, in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman, and afterwards in further steps, which Ephesians 2 would call the covenants of promise. So we don't believe that the covenant of grace was established. Established is a key word. We don't believe it was established with Abraham. We believe it was promised there, and the promises from the seed forward are aiming toward the establishment of the covenant of grace, which is in Christ Jesus. So, Afterwards, by further steps, until the full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. So the full discovery of the covenant of grace is in this new covenant established in Christ. Everybody that's saved in the past, in the article, uh, uh, article 3 of chapter 7 says, was they were saved retroactively by the grace of God. The elect are always saved by faith, uh, by grace, through faith in Christ Jesus because of the covenant of grace. So those that are in that covenant of grace get their marching orders from their covenant head and they are to do what they are to do based on what Jesus says or doesn't say. So that's going to be very important for us to understand. We could say it like this. If the my household, the Sparks household, is a one-to-one with the household of God, then you could very much understand covenant theology in the classic sense. You can understand Presbyterianism. That's what Presbyterians do is very much pull these parallels together and say, look at these, these parallels of the covenant household of God, and then the the family household, and the, the patriarch, and what his obligations are. And Doug Wilson argues this about what his what are my obligations as a Christian parent towards my children, and that's some of his argument towards classic covenant theology, um, or Westminsterian covenant theology. And uh, I'm going to make these distinctions, though, based on what I just said on the covenant of grace, that the covenant family, my covenant household, is distinct from the covenant family of God. I think everybody would agree with that down throughout church history, that, that my family is distinct from the family of God. It's, so what I'm going to say then is it's not necessarily a one-to-one thing when we think about Jesus and his headship and Jared Sparks and his headship over the Sparks family, or you and your headship over your family. To be in my family, the only requirement is that you're born. Every single child of mine is, within, is, is under the covenant responsibilities that I have towards them. They're, they don't have to do anything. They just have to be, uh, have to be born. But to be in the covenant family of God is all you have to be. Is all you have to do is just be born into a Christian family, and that's where many people say yes. All you have to be do have to, have to do is to be born into a family, a Christian family. And so, in fact, Rich Lusk says this. Let me just pull this up. Saw this just uh, the other day on Gab. Covenant children are like olive plants gathered around the table. This makes uh, this makes parents gardeners. Parents are not given weeds for children who must then be converted into wholesome plants. Okay, that, that is strong language. He goes on to say, rather they are given the best possible plants to work with. They are to care for and nurture these plants in the greenhouse of the home and the church until the children are mature, fruit-bearing trees. Okay, that leaves you with the impression that those children don't need to be born again, that they don't need to do the will of God, that they don't need to hear and do the will of God to be a part of Christ's family. Now, this is where I want us to bring, uh, bring us right to Jesus' words. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 12. And I want us to see that the household of God in your household, our households, aren't the exact thing because to be in our household just requires birth, but to be in God's household requires something else. It's called this, uh, what's this thing called again? It's called the new birth. It's called the new birth. 
I want us to consider how Jesus talks of his natural family and then how he talks of his spiritual family. And what I'm arguing here is that when Jesus is talking about his spiritual family, he's talking about the church. Okay, here's Luke chapter 8. Then his mother and brothers were outside, came to him. Uh, then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Who is the family of Jesus? Well, he doesn't first say, he, he doesn't even claim that they're his family here. What he's doing is turning his attention to the natural family, to natural kin, turning that attention then towards the spiritual family, those who worship in spirit and truth, who hear the word of God and do it. Hear and do the word of God. So that, that is a requirement to be a part of his family. He said, All that, this is my family. I'm going to define my family for you. It's those who hear and do the word of God. Within my house, there are people that have heard the word of God and done it, which means they are in Jesus's family. And then there are people in my house that have not heard the word of God and done it. Now, this isn't by their own strength. It's not by their own power. It's not by their own wit. It is by the supernatural work of God. They're born of God, not by the will of the flesh, the will of man, not by being in this household, but because of God's work on their, ha on their behalf that moves them from death to life. Okay, so that's Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 12, then Jesus is talking, and this is uh, 51 to 53. Here's what he says. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be uh, divided father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus now is in this these households is the point of division. There are some that are following him, some that aren't. There are some that have heard and are, have done the word of God and some that have not heard and have not done the word of God. Jesus is now the point of division even in natural family. But Jesus' family are those who hear and do the will of God. And the promise of those who hear and do the will of God is that they will receive the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 39. This is a main verse, and it's just presupposed Presbyterian understanding of this verse, that this whole book about covenant succession, which is a book that promises, says that God promises Christians, all of their children, promises that they are all going to be elect, which leaves parents with this question of, well, what happens when they're not? Here's what Ephesians, or excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 39 says, For this promise is for you and for your children. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And see, this book, it just from the beginning, see, your children are promised. Well, wait a minute. The qualification is not only for you and your children, all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We could say it like this and be faithful to the text. The Holy Spirit is promised to everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And then of, of who? Everyone. Who, what, who's the everyone? Okay, well, the Jew to the Jews' children, or the Christian Jew, and the Christian Jews' children, and to everyone that's far off, and then, what's the qualification? So all of those groups, and within those groups, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. That is whom the promise of the Holy Spirit comes to. So what I think is, is that it is a one-to-one. -one. Those who hear and do the word of God are those whom the Holy Spirit has promised to. And this is the thing. You, you must be born again to Nicodemus. It's not just a matter of being born into the Sparks household even though it is a real covenant household. The covenant children then, when we say covenant children, who are they? Well, those are those that are in the kingdom. Those that those are those that have heard and done the word of God. The young little ones that have trusted in Jesus, that have repented and trusted and 
they don't have full understanding. They don't. And back to our children, we encourage very young for people to express faith in Christ because faith is supernatural and we're not celebrating the work of a child. We're celebrating the work of God in the life of a child. And so we're trying to, uh, try, uh, trying to identify supernatural faith. But those that are in the family of Jesus are those who have heard and done the will of God. So Jesus household requirements, then it's going to regulate and restrain these lesser, lesser or parallel covenant bodies. This is important for us to understand. Because now, here I am a patriarch. I'm a father. And I want to do a really good job being a father. And I think multi-generationally. And I tell the people at our church all the time, expect your children to become Christians. And expect that all your grandchildren are going to become Christians. And expect all your great-grandchildren are going to become Christians. Expect it. Pray for it. It's not promised, but expect it. Pray for it. Believe it. And uh, that is a unique thing for Baptist to say for a, for a pastor to, you know in my position as a, as a confessional Baptist elder to say something like that but I believe it and I want to keep encouraging our families to do so and the reason I'm doing that is because of the covenant household obligations of the patriarchs the patriarchs are given household a head of household responsibilities that is and, and, the, and the patriarchs covenant behavior towards those who are under his care that patriarch's behavior is regulated. What he does for his children, what he encourages in his children, what he does is regulated by his covenant head, Jesus. So what Jesus tells me to do or restrains me from doing for my household or whatever limitations he gives me, if I can't do for my family what Jesus has done for his family, well then, okay, I don't want to act like I can do for my family what only Jesus can do for his family. Okay, let me clear some of the weeds here, okay? What is the head of household's covenant obligation to his family let's just ask that okay if we just go to ephesians and we just look at this and remember there's going to be a series here i'm going to be doing a few um, issues here or excuse me a few episodes here and if you have any questions you can please submit those and i'll probably do some responses too for my presbyterian brothers and sisters that are listening in and saying like ah you didn't think about you didn't think about this and you didn't think about that uh but i do want to be thorough and helpful and then you know take some of your feedback and then try to throw that out there as well and this is why I think it's critical for us to understand this, is that that uh, men, you do have covenant obligations, okay? Number one, you are to love your wife. You are the head of your wife. You are to love your wife. For the husband is the head of his wife. There's That's covenantalism. So you, you have covenant responsibilities to your wife, and therefore to your children, too, that we'll see here in just, just a second. And you're to love her as Christ loved the church. This is a one-to-one. You are to love your wife like light Christ loves the church. So your love is directly flowing from how Christ is loving you. This is unconditional. This is uh, particular because Jesus loves his bride and gives himself up for his bride. So your love is rooted in the electing and the particular redemptive work of Christ on the behalf of the church. So you don't love every woman the same and you don't give yourself to every woman the same way. You you love your wife particularly and specially and, and, and specifically. That's what you're to do. Now, what about with uh, children? Okay. Um, in this covenant body for your children, what are your obligations as the patriarch to your children? Well, first, there is no qualifications for them to be in your family, to be under your covenant rule, except for them to be born. When they're born, they are under your covenant rule. You are their head, you are their leader, you have that responsibility, and your covenant household then is going to be mixed. And it's uh, the the new covenant is pure. The new covenant of Christ is pure. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. They all. Uh, will have the Spirit of God not uh, just around them or in proximity to them, but within them. And this is a, a unique privilege of the of the new covenant. And so the Holy Spirit 
in the life of the body of the church is this in, invisible reality is, is a Jesus mediates for his church and it's a perfect church. It's a uh, visibly uh, of mixed nature because at times there are false professions and false converts, but we're doing everything we can to keep the church as pure as possible visible by saying there has to be some sort of evidence of hearing and doing the word of God before we admit you in. And in your home, in your household, your household is going to be mixed. Therefore, your children, and this is where that uh, statement by Rich Lusk, I, I hope there is, I know that in some, and, and he's kind of on that, uh, that stronger end of federal vision stuff, uh, from in fact, his uh, he was a very uh, much of a part of that at the very beginning. But if you fail to teach that your children must be born again, and I know that Doug Wilson does teach this that your children must be born again. Classic Presbyterianism still teaches that your children must be born again. Uh, you 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 can't you have to be born again. But they teach that there is a mixed nature of the church, and where you're saying that um, I don't believe there's a mixed nature of the church, and in the household this is a difference. There's a purity to the church, but within the householders of mixed nature. So what am I supposed to do? My children must be born again. They are not born into the church, but they are born under my covenant rule. So what, I'm, what am I to do with them? Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Here are your federal, federal obligations. I love this passage because this whole passage to Ephesians 5 and then with Ephesians chapter 6. Hold on one second. I'm going to tell Ransom to stop playing piano. Just a second. These are the obligations. Men, listen up. You know, get your ears cleared. Listen spiritually. See spiritually. I, this passage is so, it's just potent with power. I love it because it's just so compact, but it's so rich. And uh, there's just, it's, it's very deep. It's, 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 it's a wonderful thing. Discipline and instruction. Okay. Raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Okay. What does that mean? I'm going to argue here that that means you have three federal or covenant obligations in this, this covenant family. Give them the law of God, the gospel of God, and put them around the people of God. Give them the law of God. The rule of law, this is why there is a Christian household, the rule of law here is God's law. God's ways, principles, th this is how we live. This is how we function. We do things the way God calls us to do things. So the rule of law in the Sparks household is what God has to say. It's his word. His word is authoritative. Every father out there, you got to do everything you can in your home to, to make sure that your children know that you are submissive to this word and that this word is the rule of law here. you got to give them the law. So that's the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Okay? What else? You have to give them the gospel. You have to regularly talk about what Jesus did. You have to talk about his grace. You got to talk about his love. You got to talk about how, you know, tell them your testimony, tell them about what God has done in your life, his faithfulness to you, and just talk about the gospel of Jesus. Talk about sin, repentance, talk about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, talk about hearing and doing the will of God, not just being a hearing, hearer of the word, and, but, and not being a doer of the word, but hear and do the word of God. Tell them that they must be born again. This, we want the law of God to do the work to expose our children and we want them to be driven to Jesus. We want them to be born again. And then put them around the people of God. It is, uh, no matter how, if your kids are in your household, they're going to church. The family goes to church. The family gathers at church. The family goes and connects at the church. Now, your unregenerate children, those who have not yet heard and done the will of God, you still have an obligation as you raise them in the discipline or the instruction of the Lord, the paideia the, 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 of the Lord, what are you doing? Well, they you need to have them around the people that know the ways of God. They know the law of God. They know the gospel of God. They, they know how the kingdom of God functions and works, and they function within that kingdom of God. 
And so they're always around the people of God. You're just getting them in proximity to people who know and love Jesus. My son loves our pastors. Ransom loves Pastor Andy. Andy's teaching him to play guitar right now. Now, both of my sons, are two, two of the three of my sons are, are, have confessed Christ, and two of them have been baptized very young age. We, we baptized them uh, at five and six, and we're praying and trusting that uh, Providence has faith in Christ very soon. She's uh, now three, and we're looking for supernatural faith. We're not looking for perfect understanding. But we're wanting them around where the peer pressure is to know and love Jesus. I mean, there are legends already. I mean, Graham Presley at our church is a legend for those boys. Cohen Deaton is a legend for those boys. Those those younger boys, they look up to those older boys. And the, the peer pressure is to know and love God, to walk in his ways and to, to do things, to honor your parents. Like these are the, these are the, the, this is the peer pressure that these kids are facing at our church. They're almost, almost all of them homeschool except maybe one or two families. And so the, the peer pressure is just, we respect our parents. We do things the right way. And so with those things, those qualifications from the patriarch being applied in the family, what's our expectation? What's the expectation for our children? Do we just uh, believe from the beginning that they're already born again? We believe they're promised to us or something like that, that they're all going to be Christians just because they're born into our family? They are not Christians just because they're under your federal rule, Father. They're not born again. And I know that some Presbyterians use the word Christian to not, they say that some people that aren't born again are Christians, that everybody that's baptized is a Christian, so all the visible church. But okay, I'm not using it in that way. I'm using it in the, 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 the other way. That, uh, so, okay, let's just clear this up. What do, we, what do we expect? What do we expect? Well, I expect that my children who are raised in the law of God, hearing the gospel of God, and who are around the people of God, I'm expecting them to humbly walk before God and others all the days, days of their life. I'm expecting them to know Jesus at an early age, to walk with Jesus, and I am trusting that every one of my children are going to be born again. And uh, that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm hopeful for. So my patriarchal rule in this covenant household is to give them the law, give them the gospel, and put them around the people of God. Now, in the next few episodes, we're going to explore a few other um, similarities and differences. I hope this has been helpful. If you have any questions or comments, please share those with me. And any critiques, you know, say like, Jared, you, you blew it here. You're going to make people Presbyterian. Okay, whatever. I'm trying to say there really is federal obligations in the household that the patriarch has to his family. And uh, I want to encourage you in that. I really do. And also, I don't want to see, you know, Presbyterians don't have, like, we all have the Bible. And so, to my Baptist brothers out there, they're, just go to the scriptures for your federalism. And you, you don't have to run to stuff like this. You don't. And you can trust the Lord for your, you know, that, that God's going to work in the lives of your children. And, uh, and you know, execute your patriarchal covenant responsibilities well to the best of your ability by the grace of God and watch God work. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks again for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. For more information, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes. And if you want to become a member of the Shepherd's Crook, please message me and we'll get you on the list. We hope you have a great rest of your day.